welcome to this new Brentford Football Club podcast from the Griffin Park Grapevine. We wanted to bring you something different from other offerings out there. There are some excellent podcasts already available. I'm Billy and Dave from Besotted are already approaching a thousand episodes. I mean, that's very impressive commitment from the pair over about decades to bring fans great content. And more recently, Tim, aka Buster B from the forums, has kept going the podcast Across the Seas, uh, which brings a US slant on the on the, on 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 the bees. Tim's been a um, a bees fan for decades and used to live this side of the pond and attend games with the rest of us down in League Two. So he's back stateside now and has given our new US fans some context and background on on our climb to the Premiership and all that entailed. He also has Greville Walsman, North London Bee, as what seems to be his permanent guest. And Greville is always worth a listen. Um, then there's the Eden Road podcast, who are up to an impressive episode four. Uh, they started just before the World Cup and have just resumed. Um, that's with Michael and his guests, Clayton, Tyus and Will, and they discussed the recent games and given their views on how we should uh, uh, get some players in this transfer window, and they provide some interesting names. I believe that's it for what's available on podcasts. If there's any more out there, then please let us know and we'll give you a shout-out. Um, back to us. We aim to bring you a, a much more concise pod but to also cover a wide range of topics with news about players, fixtures, tickets, travels, overseas meetups, and moans about crap things about us being in the Premier League, and all other news for around, around the hive as it used to be in the programme. We also hope to have some guests on from time to time. But it's early days, and we'll try a few things and see what you like and see what doesn't work, and we'll progress from there. However, it's unlikely we'll be having any away fans' views. Don't really care about that. Okay, so let's have a uh, recap of what's happened recently. And we'll, and we'll go all the way back to the City game. Well, not all the way back, but we'll go back to the City game because it's just so extraordinary. Probably the best win the club has ever had, both in terms of performance and the result, of course. I understand that after the warm-up, you know, the, the team come back in after the warm-up and they absolutely said they loved the surface. They knew that the that City would be more interested in avoiding World Cup injuries and that would be on their mind. Uh, and it was a massively deserved win. If you look at the chances we created and the quality of them compared with City, it was clear that we were the better team. Not necessarily the better individual players, of course, um, but certainly the better team. And if you look at the XG, and we're not going to harp on about XG, you know, we, 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 we won that 3.3 to 1.9. It was clear, clear out, we clearly outperformed them. Uh, moving on to Spurs, um, you know, but for a gentle cross, Sorry, but for a perfect cross, a gentle nudge in the back by and a magnificent header from the England captain, uh, this would have been another victory. We fell off the pace a little, and then the lucky ricochet deflected the ball onto you know, the Spurs striker's toes, where he had time and space to slot away the equaliser. Now, Brian picked up a booking here uh, for a dive. Um, I wasn't too worried about him picking up a booking, but it was his fourth of the season, and he now has to get through all the way to, well, it's now only one game, but it was then, all the way through to the Bournemouth game without picking up another booking to avoid a match ban. Uh, you're allowed five bookings in the first 19 games in this league. Um, sorry, if you get to five bookings in the first 19 games of this league, then you get a, a match ban. We've already seen that with Tony, and now Brian is on Brian is on the cusp. Um, at the end, of course, we were hanging on, but when we were relieved to settle for the point at the time. But in hindsight now, that feels like two points dropped. West Ham, um, of course, we did the double over them last season. They come into this game and the poor run of results. Uh, but if we look at the underlying stats on fight rate, etc., we can see that they're kind of in a false position, West Ham. So it was a closer game, this one. 
Um, and it was the introduction of Wisher, I think, at the, towards the end, after an hour, that gave them a real problem. Um, however, this was completely overshadowed, of course, by Ivan Tony going down in what seemed to be a really innocuous challenge. And I've looked back at it closely you know, several times now, and what it looks like is that he got a knee into his lower leg, just underneath his own knee, as he landed, and that pushed his lower leg around and twisted his right knee. And it was an obvious pain at the time, um, but it seems that he had a scan the next day which showed no injury, and it was due a confirmatory scan later this week. He must have had one by now, um, just to have another look at it after the swelliness subsides. Now, he was at the GTEC for the Liverpool game, and I understand he was considered for the bench for that match. And he was also at the Chelsea match against City uh, during the week. So he's obviously out and about. So he's obviously up and about. And I respect him back in the squad for the Bournemouth game, if not even for the FA Cup game, because um, as we'll come on to later, Thomas likes to play players in games. Yeah. Now on to Liverpool. Well, what a massive statement this was. A toneless Brentford created absolute chaos in the Liverpool defence and we smashed the club that holds 19 league titles, 8 FA Cups, 9 League Cups, 6 European Cups, 3 UEFA Cups, 2 Women's Super League titles. And we, we, we beat them. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. You know, for the club, one or two were the, the most historic trophy cabinet in the country. We even had the ball in the back of the net five times and only two marginal offside decisions denied us five goals, which would have been fabulous. And there's been some, there were some excellent corner routines. The Athletic did an excellent forensic breakdown on the three corners uh, where uh, they demonstrated how we used three different options for exactly the same setup. And, and then again, Sanka played over 100 minutes on a yellow card. I'm not even sure he committed a foul during that time. Absolutely brilliant. So 10 points for the last 12 against teams that finished first, second, fourth and seventh last season. Nobody would have predicted that. Well, that's not quite correct because we run a, a prediction competition on the on the on the forum, whereby fans are asked to predict there is the points total for the next three or four games, and three percent of them guess that we get seven points for the last three matches. So, congratulations to them. Of course, before these four games, we couldn't beat Gillingham, Forest, Wolves, or Villa. So perhaps we shouldn't count too many chickens. So where does this all leave us after? Such a set of magnificent results. Well, we're currently in ninth place as we enter the FA Cup weekend, having seen all the rest of the fixtures play out over the course of the week. Um, last season, we were below ninth place from game from game eight onwards. Um, our average place so far this season, that we ignore the first two or three matches, which are always a bit wild in the table, is just above tenth. Whereas last season, it was twelve and a half below twelve and a half. So. Here we are, essentially halfway through the season, having played everyone except Boston of the League, Southampton, and we're well above last season's outcome. Great. And just some other amazing data points from where we are at the moment. We scored 10 more goals than Chelsea. We're just two points behind Liverpool, although I think they've got a game in hand. Likewise, we're two points off a possible European place. And European places may go down to seventh if both the FA Cup and the League Cup are won by teams in the top five. We're a massive 11 points above the relegation zone and we're nine points away from the bellwether mark of 35 points for survival for the, uh, so, so we play Premier League football next season. It's amazing. I don't want to hop back to whenever, but yeah, the first match I went to was a 1-0 loss against Bury in Division 4 in 1973. Never ever did I think we would be here. 
our existence then was just was was purely for FA Cup runs in those days. We didn't get many of them either. So to sit here today, looking with amazement at where we are, it's just stupendous. Now, our sort of go-to website for stats is, is 538.com. I believe they started out covering politics, and the founder of the site, Nathan, is famous for, I, I believe, correctly predicting every state's outcome in a recent US presidential election, and he employs stats in a not dissimilar way to, to our owner. Um, since then, they moved into stats, and they've been mentioned as closest to what smart odds do to arrive at what smart odds do. Um, the other one is experimental 361. So 538 have a model that predicts the outcome of the league with different probabilities for different outcomes. So, for example, it gives Manchester City a 46 chance of winning the Premier League and Arsenal with 45%, and United, Newcastle and Liverpool making up those very small percentages. Anyway, if we look at the what they predict as the outcome for each team's point totals, there's some very interesting gaps that are starting to appear. If we start at the bottom, there's five teams that are predicted to finish on between 33 and 35 points. It's very close down there. Then above them, there's Palace, Leicester, Leeds and West Ham, who are predicted to have 41 to 45 points in that in that band. And you can see there's really a six-gap point between those two groups. Then there's another five-point jump to Villa, Fulham and ourselves, where we have predictions of 50, 51 and 53 points, respectively. Again, all very close. And then above this, there's another massive gap to 61 points for Brighton and 64 points for Spurs. Liverpool and Newcastle United are in a 69 to 70 point one, 69 to 71 point range, and Arsenal and Manchester City are both on 83. So that last match against City may be interesting. Now, I, I, I hope you followed that. This format isn't the easiest for conveying a league table, but the point I wanted to get across is that the league has already fissured into a series of mini leagues, and we're on top of the rest of the the, the rest of the league after the big six. Newcastle, who many probably are adding to make it a big seven now, and Brighton, who I heard someone recently suggest that they've joined what is a big eight. So to be the best of the rest is an enormous achievement. Of course, things may change, and those outcomes are certainly not locked in. They will change over as, as more results come in. Um, but we certainly cannot rest on our laurels. And for those interested, we still have a 2% chance of Champions League football next season and a minuscule chance of relegation of less than 1%. It's FA Cup weekend. Hooray! First of all, some travel news. Yeah, and it's not good news. Um, the recent rail strikes continue to impact uh, travel. Um, so before the game, there is travel, but there's none after the game. So before the game, there's four trains per hour between Waterloo, Kewbridge, Brentford, Felton, and on to Windsor. That isn't the normal route that normally runs through Kewbridge. So if you're coming in from some other directions, Weybridge, whatever else, you'll need to check or travel before you leave please likewise Gunsbury's there's two trains per hour on the North London line between Stratford and Richmond again after the game there's nothing so again you have to find your own way home annoying but that's life um, back to the football uh, there's always a section of, of, of fans that suggest we should rest all our players for for these type of games I don't get that at all um, the players have had five days rest since Liverpool where, the, where we didn't have to travel and a massive eight games before the next home game, so no trouble again. And that's plenty of time to allow for any minor, minor niggles to, to fix themselves. And let's face it, it's our only opportunity to win a major honour. You only have to win, only, only have to win six matches, you know, compared with probably having to win, what, 30 in the Premier League? 
So, you know, this is where we can pick up a dollar. And we've just proven over the season and a half, the last season and a half, that we can win these one-off games against Arsenal, against United, against Liverpool, Chelsea and City. Um, ideally, we would like some home ties to improve our chances a little. But it's certainly not out as well to win that cup. Just imagine if we did. And, and as for the uh, the team, whenever we've had, the, you know, whenever I've had and the GBG has had the privilege of meeting Thomas, he's always said that he's up for the cup. He believes that players want to play every week or, or more than every week and that players want to win trophies. So I would expect to see you know, more or less a full-strength team. The goalkeeper position, well, that one might probably change to give you know, the understudy of Thomas's chance. Um, there may be one or two outfield players carrying niggles, so we may not see them. Um, but I'd be surprised if we chase more than, say, four outfield positions. It may also give Callas a start, and I, and I hope he plays as well, because I think given our recent signings and his desire to start games, it may be one of our last chances to watch him play in our shirt. Got no inside information on that at all, but it kind of seems almost inevitable. And it'll be interesting to see what the pitch looks like too. It's currently in the middle of a very heavy schedule of football and rugby matches, with London Irish having played in it on Wednesday just gone, and they're playing it on the next two Sundays as well. So it's a real challenge for the ground star key to, to prepare a, a perfect surf, surface for this cup game, and indeed the Bournemouth game. And I hear conflicting stories about how good the pitch is. I hear the players are calling it poor, whilst others are saying it it's look, looks poor, but, but it plays okay. But if my eyes are okay, and they're far from perfect, then it certainly doesn't look like the carpets we see at most places away from home. Again, there's been some mitigated circumstances on this. We had the women's Euros last season, so time to relay the pitch was limited, if it was indeed relayed. Um, and we had the rugby games on the, on the surface that we just mentioned. But someone told me that a similar number of games, both rugby and football, were played at Ashton Gate, and the pitch there is, is perfect. The players certainly want to play on the best surface, including when they're playing against the, the best individual opponents too. Anyway, I'll be interested to hear what your views are on the pitch. Let us know. There's a thread in the forum about it. Or ping us on Twitter. Okay, let's move on, move on to some uh, player player updates, player news. Ivan Tony, um, we spoke about his injury already, and it's it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? The the far bigger picture of is his inevitable forthcoming sanction for betting. Um, now I know there are only allegations at the moment, but as sure as eggs are eggs, he's been betting on football. The FA clearly has the evidence. I mean, they have some two thousand six hundred pages of it, um, and that, that that will contain evidence of betting, clear evidence of betting. So we 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 can't be in any denial over it and, and hoping it, the FA are completely mistaken. Um, there's a thread on, on the forum, and BG United also wrote up a synopsis of the status as it, uh, and, and you can find that, well, the status as it was, and you can find that on their website. Things have moved on slightly since then because Tony's had another 30 bets um, added to into the mix, which I think makes a total of about 230, sorry, 252 bets over a four-year period. Um, those those new 30 bets don't really change the magnitude that much. Uh, it's about, what, another 12%. Um, but what is interesting is that from the FA's evidence, he would have stopped betting in sort of late January 2021, um, so almost two years ago. Um, so why did he stop betting then? Um, I suspect that's when the he was first made aware that the FA were investigating him. Um, and if that's the case, uh, the FA's investigation has obviously lasted much longer than the seven months that was right, widely reported when the case uh, first became public in, in what, early November. Um, 
and yeah, that's what we believe. Uh, what we all want to know, of course, is is, is how long or how 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 uh, severe his his sanction might be. Will he end up in the ban? And if so, how long will that ban might be? Now, I've read virtually every case of football betting published by the FA over the past few seasons, and it's very very difficult to predict. It's just a complete shambles, if you like, about what the FA can decide. It might depend on who you've got on the day and a, a whole host of circumstances, which we'll just go through. Um, because what the what the FA do is they they have published once. I um, found it in a and again in one of these written reasons why why one player was bet, and in it it's got uh, you know the matrix of what you've done and how much you and what what the sanction should be. So, for example, if you if you bet if you placed a bet in a competition that you were playing that, that, that your club but but your club is not involved in, i.e., if if he bet on La Liga or something, then the entry point is a warning and a fine. If he placed is on his own and, and there's no 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 suspension. If he placed a bet on his own team to win. That's a fine with a zero to six month determination, so a zero to six month ban to be determined by other factors, which it will, I shall come on to. Now, if he plays on his own bet team to lose, yeah, then things start getting serious. So we won't, we assume, we have to assume that it's not as serious as that. So let's just concentrate on, on what happens if one, he bet on, say, a team in the uh, Premiership while he was at, while Brentford were in the Premiership. Or a team in a championship, while Brentford in a championship. What's not so clear is, you know, is is the EPO as a whole a competition? So if he bets on a League Two team to, while he's playing for a championship team, does that count as the same competition? That's not clear, right? And also, where they start up from with a a ban, they might say, okay, let's 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 start with a a, a one month ban. For example, the factors that then change. That length of ban includes such um, has ambiguous things as the following: overall impact, overall perception of impact of the bets on the on 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 the game's integrity, whether the player or did or did not play. Well, that's that's the only one that's clear so far. The number of bets, the size of bets, the fact and circumstances surrounding patterns of bet. No idea what that means. The actual stake and amount possible to win, well, surely that's a function of the number of bets and the bets of, and the size of the bets. So that's double counted, if you like. Personal circumstances, experience of the participant, but it doesn't give any sort of indication of what experience means there. Does that mean how old he is? How many games he's played? And it's just, it's, and it's just one liner. It doesn't give any indication of how much experience means how much of a ban and assistance to the process and acceptance of the charge. So all those things are highly ambiguous. You can't say, right, Mr. Tony, you bet 232 times. The average bet size was 23 of those four were of this particular bet, five of that particular bet. Therefore, looking at all my matrix, you come down to a, a, a 10,000 pound fine, say, and a three month ban, say. So it's absolutely impossible to tell. Um, now the club have until, or Tony has it until the fourth January to respond to the latest set of um, charges. Um, my understanding is that the club will have applied for an extension of that because 
we would have heard it up about that just before Christmas. It would have been a standard two weeks. Those standard two weeks obviously included Christmas and New Year. So we would apply for an extension for that probably until about mid-January. So I doubt very much whether, as we sit here today, Tony's defence has been submitted. Once it has been submitted, the the FA will no doubt have to take time to um, react to that and read it. I mean, if, if, if there's 2,800 pages of evidence, how Tony's response isn't going to be a, a single way full piece of paper. Um, then there will have to be a hearing convened, and then the, the hearing after the hearing, there'll have to be a decision made and that decision communicated. Now, if that does end up in a ban, I would expect the club will want that ban to start this season. And the major reason for that is that we can, you know, for a start, the summer, the two months over summer will count towards that end month ban. And, and we and, and also, as soon as we know what's happening, we can plan. Yeah. So I would imagine that you know, Phil Jars and the rest of the crew want this done and dusted with as soon as possible. And to be fair, you know, they're sort of treating it as, as just one of those things. Tony could equally have broken his leg and be out for a year. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just the uncertainty that's, that, 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 crazes, that, that creates issues with the club at the moment. Um, but really, if I was to say anything to the FA, it would be we really need to get some clearer idea of what a particular uh, set of circumstances means in terms of sanctions for, for betting. The sign of the Sharda, I believe that's how it's pronounced, rhymes with Larder. Now, this kid is fast and he's a typical Brentford signing, young with pace and power. From what I'm able to tell, he will be the fastest player in the entire Premier League. He was clocked at 22.8 miles per hour last season, which beat Nunez's 22.6 miles an hour, not by much. It makes St. Maximan look a slouch with his 22.2 miles an hour. But I mean, if you just look at the show reel that's on YouTube, he's just, it's just lightning. Um, and I've just read Thomas's, um, outcome from his press conference. It looks like he's going to be in the squad tomorrow for the FA Cup game. So looking good. Um, in loan news, Finn Stevens has come back from Swansea. He didn't play there. We can't loan him out again because you can only play for two clubs in any season and he played for us uh, against Colchester in the League Cup. Um, so the thinking here is he can come back and spend time at Jersey Road and train and develop with more talented players in a, in, and in that environment rather than, you know, with Swansea. Um, the same situation would happen if we, if we recalled Halil. He's also already played for two clubs this season. So we, he's better off staying where he is. Um, and Mads Beck Sorison has come back from Nice. He's not encumbered by that two club rule. So I expect him to go back out and loan to somewhere that he'll play minutes. Paris McComa, he comes back from a successful loan at Wimbledon. Um, I suspect we've got a loan set up for him at a slightly high level in the pyramid. Yeah, we wouldn't have recalled him otherwise, as far as I can, so much as I can make out. And in terms of incoming transfer news, um, I think we all know we were looking at one to two transfers, incoming transfers this window. We've already had one, and that was the one that we were been targeting for a while. I suspect that will be it, to be frank. Um, and we've done our usual MO of getting our incomings done early in the window. And just uh, wrapping up with some other bits and pieces of news that have happened recently, um, Thomas Frank, of course, signed a new contract, which takes him to 2027. He signed that in December. He'd already signed one in, in February. So you know, that must be a really good improvement for Thomas. Um, Obviously, we'll have increased our buyout clause as well. 
Thomas must be on the um, shopping list of you know, a number of clubs now, like it or not. Um, I imagine he's only going to take a bigger club, you know, one of the big six or seven. Um, having seen Potter go from Brighton to Chelsea, I think that's kind of opened everybody's eyes to you know, clubs can take English or clubs, uh, managers from other English clubs and, and, and do okay. So let's hope it doesn't happen for a while. Um, and let's hope we've got a great succession plan in place. And let's face it, he's a fa- fabulous ta- tactician. He's done us really proud. And everybody I speak with say, um, you've worked the club for, for, you know, a while, say is the, is, is, is the best thing that's ever happened to, to Brentford from a managerial point of view. Uh, he's also up for manager of the month. So of course we should favor him on that. And Ben Mee is up for player of the month. Uh, we haven't spoken at all about Ben in this, in this podcast, but yeah, I mean, what a great free signing that was. Um, it's also interesting uh, that, um, you know, we just saw that Hickey is back training today. And I know we spoke about the FA Cup earlier. You know, it's possible that we might see him tomorrow as well. Um, not sure about Aja. And the other news, of course, is that Peter Gillen won his, uh, awarded his British Empire medal. Uh, I know some people have been working on that for a very long time. So congratulations to Peter. And congratulations to those that um, managed to get that for him. It's well-deserved. And um, unfortunately, I don't think he gets to go to Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle. He get this the British Empire medal gets presented by the local Lord Lieutenant, but he does get the, uh, an invitation to a garden party at Buckingham Palace uh, later on this year. So anyway, many congratulations to Peter. Um, well deserved. And I think that's it. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't think it's probably the best one we'll ever do, but it's the first one we'll do, and. We hope to uh, make it better as we uh, get feedback from you and um, we get better at what we're doing, to be frank. So thank you very much. And um, let's hope we're in the fourth round when we speak next. Thank you. (laughs) 